following recording may or may not include instances of words being said that the FCC would find me for if their long arm could ever reach. It's Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know, I like following the international news. I mean, I'm not going to say it's my duty, but it does make for a better citizenry, does it not? I find it has a downside. No, not being exposed to all the troubles of the world, all the deprivation, all the suffering. I'm talking, of course, about the pronunciations. There was a time when I used to be a fairly well-informed person about this hemisphere, and I could tell you what was going on in Nicaragua or Costa Rica or even Hawaii. But now it's Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Hawaii. Okay, look, I know Hawaii is part of the United States and it's not international. Is it even in this hemisphere? I only bring it up because the trend is for every word, even every proper name that you ever knew of a foreign place, the message is you've been saying it wrong. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like I'm tripping over my clumsy American tongue. I'm still holding on to Norway and Ireland. Can't deal with Norway. But the latest, and this really got me because I thought, how can we get it wrong? How can we get Hong Kong wrong? Oh, the situation in Hong Kong is quite terrible. Yes, with the protesters. But the situation to which I refer it's the pronunciation. Britain handed back Hong Kong to China in 1997. And in the years since, Hong Kong protesters say China... Has that was Julie McCarthy on NPR. Did she just say it weirdly maybe one time? No. ...bill that could have transferred suspects in Hong Kong to stand trial in China. Turns out there is a right way and a wrong way to say Hong Kong. And the wrong way is Hong Kong. And that's why I, an American idiot... I'm just doing it wrong. And they have brought along with them the people of Hong Kong. <sighs> I guess it's good to know. More knowledge, better than less knowledge. It's not about comforting me in my mispronunciation. Let us now turn to developments out of Peru. Wait, it is Peru still, right? Thank God. Now on the show today, I spiel about the simple, clear Ukrainian scandal. Hmm, I wonder how much of that is true. Well, the fact that I spiel about it, that is true. But first, Gary Goldman's new special is about his hospitalization for depression. Oh yeah, it's a comedy special. It's great. It's one of the most touching, hilarious comedy specials you'll ever see. It debuts on HBO on Saturday. I love this Gary Goldman guy. He is one rangy Jew. Gary Goldman, The Great Depression, up next. Gary Goldman, the great comedian and uh, returning champion Gary Goldman, is out <laughs> with a new HBO special. It is called The Great Depression, and it is both those things. I mean, it is being hailed by, say, Brian Koppelman, the creator of Billions, is the best comedy special he has ever seen. Of course, he is a Jewish man who likes to play basketball, as is Gary, <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt. Gary, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Of course. Did you, I've seen you do the material, but the special is the material intercut as a documentary. Is that how you always knew you wanted to do it and present it? Yeah, that was the initial idea that came from my manager, our mutual friend, Brian Stern. He said, and if you know anything about managers, they seldom come up with any creative <laughs> yeah. ideas, but his idea was we'll do a, a hybrid of a comedy special and, and documentary footage of your recovery and your, your treatment and and so it it it's about 12 minutes of documentary and 63 or 64 minutes of 
of stand-up. So now it's that, mostly stand-up. It's mostly comedy. That could work as a funny documentary, but were you worried about it killing the momentum of the jokes? I mean, were you worried about it hurting the comedy? No, I, I, I always thought we would we would only use it when necessary to either amplify or unpack certain ideas. And I, I'm trying not to use the word unpack because I, I found out that everybody's using it. And so... It's true. Steve adores... Yeah, Longshoreman, they're all <laughs> guys on the docks. Longshoreman and, and or stevedores, right. yes. They're using Unpack, and, and they're furious that it's become so common. So You don't want to fuck with the unions when it comes to Unpack. <laughs> <laughs> so early on, we, we decided that it was going to be mostly stand-up and, and only use the documentary to make the stand-up a little more interesting or or go a little bit deeper with it. Revealing. So, yeah. So when you came out of, okay, we can't say, I want to get the right terminology. You battled depression, you're dealing with depression, but also you were voluntarily hospitalized and you came out of that. So how, what's the right way to say that you're being treated, successfully treated for depression? I, I like I to know. use remission. Okay, I, good. I like to yes. use remission. I, I think that's the most helpful or I'm recovering sometimes I'll, I'll say because this, this bout of depression, and I'd had depressive episodes throughout my life. I had more episodes than The Simpsons. Where's the where's the where's the, the rim shot on that? That's a great moment for a rim shot. More more episodes than The Simpsons. The I said gun smoke. Yes, then <laughs> sixty minutes. Okay, so I. I had a lot of depressive episodes, but they would last three months. They would last a season. And then I would come back and I would make up for all the lost time. But this one, for some reason, lasted two and a half years in it. And it had a, a suicidal component and two separate hospitalizations that for time purposes, I I combined in the in the special and in the show. But there were two separate times that I was that I was hospitalized, but it yeah, it rocked me to my core. And so now, since I would say around November of 2017, I've been in what I would say remission or recovery mode. Were you out of commission as a comedian or functioning human for like, yes. how long, a year? Well, I was I was still able to pull myself together to do shows, to, to make a living. I'm, I canceled a lot of shows, but I also was able to literally sleep up until about 45 minutes before the show uh -huh. go do it and then retreat to the to the hotel until it was time to do it again because it became so obvious that something was was off not just the fact that i wasn't ironing my shirts or that i hadn't shaved but my hands were shaking and i was biting my lip till it bled also the the adrenaline that used to kick in when I would get mm -hmm. on stage, that kind of, it wasn't enough to overcome the, the inertia of, of misery. And so it was some. I mean, stage was still maybe the one place where you didn't feel terrible? It was the... Although we do see footage of you feeling terrible on stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's what the, the special opens with is me bombing on stage in, in, in Harvard Square in Massachusetts and Cambridge. And it's really uncomfortable, but I, I thought no special has ever started with somebody dying on yeah, stage. That's They're, right. Yeah. So that was uncommon, but happened frequently. Huh. I, I wouldn't say that was my usual performance, but, yeah. but that, that's what was going on at the, at the time. Yeah. Were you intent on writing? I mean, you write about a lot of things. You write about observations about life and fruit salad and states. Yes. But were you intent on writing more about your own life and your experience than you had been in the past? 
it was out of necessity, mm-hmm. I think, that when I got back on stage, it was so obvious that something was off that I had to address it in order to talk about sweet potato fries. <laughs> to get to that sweet yeah, place, to, to, to get talk to the, about tubers. Yeah, yeah to, to talk about things that weren't really, really as important. And then it just started to to build because that that's how I, I had to remember how I went about writing everything I ever wrote, which is, it, it sounds like I'm being a wise ass, but one sentence at a time that I have a line that works and then I try to build on that. And that's what I started doing with, with the jokes about depression and anxiety. And thank goodness the feedback that I would get after the shows was very positive for the most part. 99% of the people were encouraging and supportive and said that it made them feel less alone. And, and so that was, that was really a, a blessing. There, there were occasional comments that for some reason the managers of the comedy clubs felt the need to show me about people saying don't talk about depression uh-huh. and and one time in delaware 70 minutes into a 90 minute show a man looked disgusted in the front row center which means he had to have had the tickets in advance and yeah. knew what he was going to see it's called the great depression and he and he yelled at me he says what is this therapy and he stood up and yelled you suck uh-huh. and and left and yeah. and Thank God the rest of the audience didn't feel that way. And they, they gave me the, the only time in my career in 25 years I've gotten a standing ovation before the end of the show. So that was that was really wow. something. And yeah. also, thank God your actual therapy doesn't work along those same lines. <laughs> I know. Your therapist just yeah. t- tore out of there screaming obscenities. Right. right. <laughs> also, if he expected to me, to me to be that funny. Right. Yes. Or if he demanded a refund. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He yeah. bought the tickets. 70 minutes in, he, fed it. he got fed off. This uh, unbelievable. Awful. Yeah. So your mom is in the documentary as yes. your mom, yeah. and at times, sweetly, uh, perhaps with the best of intentions, perhaps not getting all the subtle nuance of you sitting next to her clearly presenting evidence that <laughs> you were giving sufficient and extreme cries for help as a seven-year-old. She just yes. doesn't see it. Now that yes. she's seen the documentary, I assume she's seen the documentary. No, she oh, hasn't seen okay. it. She's only seen the trailer. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so she, I mean, might she, do you, do you expect that the scene in the documentary where you sit down next to her and show yeah. her a book that you did in second grade of a, yeah. of a upset crying tree? Yeah. It's called the lonely tree. The lonely tree. A yeah. tree that cries on its own tears. By the way, it's a great idea. It grows on its own tears. It grows yeah. on its own. Well, it's a, it's a clear ripoff of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, I thought it was the giving th- tree. Well, I don't know. I, I've never yeah. read, or I didn't read the giving tree until I was in my thirties. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is about someone who gets teased and then saves Christmas. And this Christmas tree basically gets gets bullied, and then he becomes the, the main Christmas tree. So, yeah. Yeah. But do you think your mom might, it might register with your mom, oh, he really was perhaps a sad young man that she doesn't, she claims she doesn't see now. Well, she lives in, in such denial that I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Denial's not just a town of Massachusetts <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, she, she, I don't know if she'll recognize it. She'll, she, the, the good thing is that she's aware of what it means now. But at the time, to be honest, very few parents were aware of, the, of right. that type of That's absolutely thing true. going on. Even, even school psychologists probably weren't aware. Yeah. So on your Twitter feed, you've been tweeting out essentially a comic tip a day. Yes. But it's in the 200s now. 261 today. All right. Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> Thanks, on that. Ben. But it's also a little bit of life lessons, even oh, if yeah. you're not a comedian. Yes. One of them, number 202, was 
list your stand-up weaknesses, be honest, among 100 plus others, I need to weed out numerous performance flaws, write them down and take a pick, consult that pick before every show, work on one of those weaknesses every show. Great, but that's not, I don't know if that's loving yourself. That could be fraught if you're not in the right state sure. of mind. And, and that's something I, I put in a, a tip early on, which was your mental health is the most important. And if, if comedy is, is not contributing to your health, if it's, if it's making you anxious, if it's depressing you, then put it on hold, get your health in order, and then come back to stand-up because... Like like I said earlier, I wrote four minutes in two and a half years. Yeah, and since October of October November of two thousand seventeen, I've put together two hours and twenty minutes of of material, an hour of which is on the special, and the and another seventy five eighty minutes that I'm touring with now and after the special. So it makes a big difference if you if you if you muddle through. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah. Another tip, you uh, you tweeted out the vision board that you made <laughs> yes. 10 years ago. Yes. And on that vision board are Late Show with Letterman, Conan, This American Life, and an HBO stand-up special. Yeah. Now with the special, they've all happened for you. Yes. But I looked at that vision board, and right. I just am wondering what some of these other visions mean. Okay. You have a picture of George Foster up there, I believe. Oh. <laughs> What George. is former Cincinnati Red and New York Met George Foster doing there? George Foster was the best hitter of the 1970s. Mm -hmm. He was... I he don't could think, rake, yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone other than George Foster hit over 50 home runs during the 1970s. I, I, in any single season, yeah. yeah that may so, be true. Yeah, yeah, and in 1977, he hit 52 home runs, and he also had the greatest sideburns I've ever seen. So I, I remember seeing his baseball cards when I was a kid and just admiring him, never having seen him play, just his style, but also his his bat. And and he always made me happy whenever I saw those sideburns. So I, I think you need on your, if you're making a vision board, you need things that you just have always liked to look at so that you'll look at the things that, that are motivating and inspiring. Gary Goldman's new comedy special, The Great Depression, debuts Saturday, October 5th at 10. And soon thereafter, we'll be on all of those HBO Go type platforms and applications. Gary, great seeing you again. Oh, great, I love hanging out job. with you, man. Great job. Thank you so special. much for coming to the special and also for having me on here today. Absolutely. And now the spiel. Renato Mariotti is a former federal prosecutor. I have to say, he's my go-to guy when there are thorny legal questions surrounding the presidency. So basically, for all of this presidency, except, you know, a month or two. Preet's good, like Preet, but, you know, Preet paywall some of his stuff. Hey, democracy is at stake here, Preet. Can't tantalize me with such sentiments as, and that's why we recommend impeach, impeach what? Peach Cobbler. So I want to give Renato props. I want to recommend his podcast, which is called On Topic. But Renato did say a couple things that stuck in my craw a little bit. Both were about the ability of the public to focus on the Ukrainian impeachment inquiry. Now, here's the major point. And the major point is true. And I agree with him, but I wonder. So let's just play that in full. 
it's important to be telling the simple story and to force the other side to tell the complicated story. And so, you know, if I'm the, the, you know, the Democrats here, what I would be doing is focusing on this Ukraine story. It's so simple. Everyone understands it. You can explain it in about 15 seconds. And it's really, there's no defense to it. Yes, but the Republicans have a monsoon-like ability to muddy the waters. Now, one reason, and here's the other thing Renato said, one reason why these tactics might work is that we're all very busy. We all have important life matters to attend to. The bottom line is that they make a bunch of accusations that are baseless, often by distorting the facts, often by leaving out facts. And so really it's a factual issue rather than, you know, something that on its face the public can make sense of. And what's so... Uh, alarming and pernicious about it is that the average person who's focused on their kid's soccer game or, um, you know, fan- their fantasy football league or whatever it may be, um, they're going to have trouble when they hear it. Oh, okay. So I will give you this. Kid's soccer game, legitimate point of concern. But your fantasy football team? Sorry if high crimes and misdemeanors are allowed to fester because Steve didn't know whether to play Adam Thielen or Melvin Gordon as his flex. Come on. Look, if you own the Cincinnati Bengals, you should worry about the Cincinnati Bengals. If you own Cincinnati Bengal Joe Mixon on your fantasy team, you could spare a couple brain cells for the fate of America and democracy. Although Joe Mixon has had a terrible yards per rush this year. Nope, nope. The only rush who's important is Rush Limbaugh and all the forces of disinformation. But also, I want to be clear that the clean, clear, easy to explain nature of the president's misdeeds will crumble if the rest of us aren't paying attention and keeping him honest. And not just me with my podcast that has hundreds of hundreds of listeners, even you in your friend circles, maybe with the other guys you play fantasy football with. So one reason why Ukrainian misdeeds of impeachable offenses are clearer than the similar Russian impeachable offenses is that it wasn't clear that the offenses regarding Russia were impeachable. All right, follow me. I mean it in several ways. One, it's not clear that the Democrats ever wanted to impeach. And this gets a little ontological, but if impeachment is whatever politicians say it is, and if politicians say we don't want to impeach, it's not impeachable, then it's not impeachable. It's kind of ontological there. And Mueller didn't say they were impeachable. Yes, yes, yes. I know the DOJ guidance. He couldn't say that, all that. But at least this time, the controlling legal authorities are saying, it's not just that it's clearer, it's that the people who are in charge of this investigation, which has never been a special prosecutor, it's always been the people who are in charge of the House of Representatives are saying that this thing's impeachable. And there's another reason that it's clearer that the Ukrainian misdeeds are impeachable. And it's that the Russian misdeeds, it's not 100% clear that Donald J. Trump actually worked with foreign actors to screw up our election. I mean, there was certainly obstruction into looking into the matter. And I mean, a lot of bad meetings were taken. If it's what you say it is, I love it. But it's not a hundred percent clear and comprehensible to our fantasy football guy that Russian election interference clearly happened. With the Ukrainian case, it's clear. They clearly happened. But still, there's an opportunity for an opportunist 
to make it seem unclear, we must guard against this. In fact, I don't think Ukrainian politics are so hard to be made to seem confusing and impenetrable and foreign. You're telling me Ukraine, a country that's had six presidents ever, where Yanukovych was preceded by Yashchenko, who sometimes allied with, but mostly was a rival of Chomashenko, who gave her name to a party called Tomashenko, and the Tomashenko party sacked the government of Tomenko and Zinchenko. You're telling me that's easy to follow? You're saying in this scandal, in which one of the journalists rooting out corruption is Sergei Leshenko, but the main anti-corruption prosecutor is Yuri Lutsenko, that doesn't easily cause confusion. And by the way, Lutsenko, though he's anti-corruption, did come under fire for helping a journalist fake his own death. Remember, this is the honest prosecutor we're talking about, Yuri Lutsenko, and that journalist's name was Arkady Babchenko. Again, all during the presidency of Proshenko. Also, every name is spelled differently depending on where you read it. Not just the Yuri or Yuri or Sergei or Serhi. But President Zelensky, who Trump asked a favor of, Zelensky, Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y. But on the transcript, the non-transcript transcript provided by the White House, idiotically, his name is spelled Zelensky, Z-E-L-E-N-S-K-Y-Y. So you might ask, why, why, why? Well, it's lost or maybe technically gained in translation from the Cyrillic. We should note that Zelensky is spelled with two Y's on his passport, but only one Y in most of the news media. So I'm just saying, when you've got motivated reasoners who off the bat believe in CrowdStrike and believe that the Ukrainians had the servers, the crisp, clean, unambiguous picture can become fuzzy in a hurry. That's fuzzy with one Y, two Zs. And of course, and I say this with all due respect to the president's apologists, a big F you. And that's it for today's show. The gist producer, he used to be an associate produce, but now he's the big produce. It's Daniel Schrader. Christina DeJosa is also in the produce game. I'd say she's working out great because she pays a lot of attention. The gist, our pronounce, isn't always perfect, but I will issue correct without hesitation. Umpur depuru dupuru, and thanks for listening.